You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. John 4, 1 through 44. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, Is he and you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you in thee. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. 
I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, after the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. It's good, good to be here with you and good to uh, be able to, to gather with this, this church, Redeeming Grace Church, and bring greetings from, uh, from South Canyon Baptist Church, and we are uh, just so excited about what's happening here, and, and we are we're praying for you guys often, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, just a, it's a joy to get to, to be here today and kind of see, see what's happening here. I want to begin by asking you a question, and this question is actually, it's the line uh, from, a, from a hit song in the mid-90s, but it actually does apply, believe it or not. This is the question. If you were faced with God in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? So it's actually, it's, it's, it's a good question. It's worth thinking about. What would you ask God if you, if you were face-to-face and had just one question you could ask? Well, according to, to some surveys, uh, most people would want to ask, you know, what is my purpose? Why am I here um, in this world? Maybe your, your own burning question would be something very personal, very unique to, to your own life. I think all of us can think of things that we'd want to ask God, but when it comes down to it, if there is a God who created everything and we were made for him, then the most important question is ultimately, how do we relate to this God? How do we have a relationship with him? How do we please him? To use a biblical word, how do we worship God? And if you've put your faith in a, in a particular belief system, whether that's organized religion or a church, or if it's just simply kind of the, the saying that, you know, just do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad deeds, whatever your beliefs, it makes sense to examine whether you've chosen the right system of worship. Because in reality, no question is more important. And so this, this story from John 4 that we're in this morning helps us to answer this crucial question of how to worship God. And so as, as we saw, um, as Josie read, this interaction between Jesus and an, and an unnamed Samaritan woman, we see this beautiful picture of the kindness and love of Jesus as well as his authority and his power. And so as we, as we dive in and look a little bit more closely at this passage, uh, this is the, the basic outline we're going we're gonna to follow. And it's that Jesus Christ is the seeker of the lost, he's the giver of spiritual new life, and he's the center of true worship. Seeker of the lost, the giver of spiritual new life, and the center of true worship. So first of all, um, the seeker of the lost. At the very opening of John 4, um, we're, we're told that Jesus' ministry is expanding, right? He's, he's baptizing even more than John the Baptist. And the Pharisees get word of this, 
And you know, these these guys, these religious leaders, are not really on the best terms with Jesus. They're not real happy about what he's doing, and so he decides this would be a good time to leave town um, as things are maybe starting to heat up a little bit. And so uh, he travels back to Galilee, but in order to get there, he has to pass through Samaria, and so he stops at Jacob's well and meets this woman. And so uh, just look again, if you will, if you have your Bible in front of you, uh, in verse 6, where it picks up, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So as, as John makes really clear in the narrative here, the fact that Jesus is even speaking to uh, this woman is, is in some ways shocking. Um, Jews viewed Samaritans as a kind of mixed race descended from the, the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, which, which split uh, back in the time of uh, Saul, King Solomon's son, Rehoboam. The, the kingdom was divided, and so the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by Assyria. Um, that's in 2 Kings 17. Um, but in, in 722 BC, so 700 years before the time of Christ, uh, Israel was conquered by Assyria. And the thing about that is... Uh, most of the people were taken away, exiled from the land. Um, some Israelites remained behind. And Assyria's strategy for trying to subdue a people they conquered and to, to try to assimilate them, they would bring in foreigners to, to settle the land along with whoever was left there. And these foreigners would bring their own, uh, their own gods, their own pagan rituals with them. And so this region of Samaria... Uh, was characterized and known for both the intermarriage between Israelites and other pagan nations and also the intermingling of idolatry with the worship of, of Yahweh, of the, the Hebrews God. And so through this process that Assyria had successfully conquered and assimilated the Israelites uh, in that region, they had undermined both marriage and undermined worship. And so 700 years later, we, we see these results on display as Jesus meets this Samaritan woman who's, who's kind of given up on marriage and is, is utterly confused about worship. Uh, but who is, who is this woman? We notice in verse 6, it's the, it's the sixth hour, which would be about noon. So it's going to be getting hot outside uh, by then. It's a great time for, for Jesus as he's exhausted and thirsty, thirsty to sit down for a rest. You know, Jesus was fully man. He gets tired. He gets hot and thirsty just like any of us would. But, you know, it's not a great time for this woman to be coming to draw water for the day. These jars are heavy, and the women of the town would, would typically come out together to draw water in the cool of the day, uh, in the morning or in the evening. But see, this woman doesn't want to be there at the same time as all the others. Oh, so she comes in the heat of the day when she knows uh, no one else will be around. And of course, as, as Jesus already knows, as we already read, she's had five husbands. The man she's with now is not her husband. So she's almost certainly not well-liked by the female population in the town and probably not respected by, by either the men or the women. But her expectation is no one will be at the well and she'll be left alone. And yet the Savior is there for her. 
by divine appointment, he is not going to leave her alone. Uh, you know, Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is the one who came to seek and save the lost. And so this respected Jewish rabbi goes against the cultural norms and he speaks to a Samaritan who also is a woman, who also has a bad reputation. And then to ask her for a drink would be unthinkable for, for most Jews because they believe you know, drinking from her jar, from her cup, would, would make a person unclean. And yet Jesus is the one who, who heals the sick. He purifies the unclean. And he brings the dead to life. And his mission is to seek the lost and to call sinners and not the righteous. You know, and maybe you're here today, and, and, and like this woman in the story, maybe Jesus is, is a stranger to you. But I hope you can see the way that the effects of human brokenness and sin really wreak havoc on our world. You know, this woman had gone through five husbands, and, and we don't really know. We're not given the details. Maybe she was to blame, or, or maybe she was the victim of abandonment. Her, her previous husbands may have suspected her of unfaithfulness. Maybe that was just uh, suspicion or, or maybe not. She may have endured abuse or mistreatment. We don't really know. All we know is that she'd gone through five marriages and seems to have finally given up. She wasn't able, for whatever reason, to achieve a lasting and a permanent, lifelong relationship. And so she'd settled, in a sense, for, for something less, for, for second best. Even though it was against God's law, even though the community would, would judge her and reject her, she just didn't want to be on her own. And this is, this is the person that Jesus reaches out to in love. It didn't matter that she was a Samaritan or a woman. It didn't matter that she had a questionable character. It was for the sick and the poor and those in bondage to sin that Jesus came to earth. You know, and even though sin clearly uh, undermines and tears apart at the fabric of, uh, you know, of marriage and the family, God's good plan, Jesus' chief aim here is not to, to teach her about marriage or teach her about morality. Jesus offers himself. He, he offers himself as the Savior who gives eternal life. And so, you know, if you're here today and you're just painfully aware of, of the brokenness and the, the pain and disorder in this world and even in your own life. Understand that, yes, God's word speaks uh, with authority to all kinds of, of life issues, you know, to marriage and family and work and money and, and morality and so on. But but I don't, I don't want to try to persuade you this morning to, to come to Jesus so he'll fix your marriage, he'll make you successful, make you happy give you better health or, or help your kids behave better. You know, that's not the offer that Jesus makes. He offers himself, not as the means, but as the end. And he promises forgiving and cleansing from our, our deepest problem, our root problem, which is sin. And of course, along the path of discipleship, following after Jesus, if we're people who have received new life, if we were receive the Spirit, then of course areas of our lives are going to improve if they align better and more closely with God's wisdom. But Christianity is not about self-help strategies, it's about spiritual rebirth. So Jesus is the seeker of the lost, he's also the giver of spiritual new life. 
That is what this woman needs. That is what each and every one of us needs. He's the giver of spiritual new life. Uh, he dives right into sharing the good news of eternal life. Um, look, look at verse 10. Picking up in verse 10, Jesus says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, much like uh, Jesus' late night conversation with Nicodemus, which I know you guys have gone through, about talking about being born again, here in this, in this passage, Jesus' words kind of have a, a double meaning. When Jesus says, talks about living water, the woman just assumes he's referring to fresh running water. And and yet Jesus explains the water he offers will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Um, a little later in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, John explains clearly that this, this living water refers to the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus says there, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And then John explains, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And of course, all the way back in, in the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36, God had promised to give his people the spirit in, in order to empower them to be able to obey him. Uh, Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And of course, the prophet Joel also foretold a day when God would pour out his spirit on all people. Uh, and that was fulfilled at Pentecost in Acts 2. And really, throughout John's gospel, Jesus is the one who gives the promised spirit. Uh, John the Baptist in John 1.33 testify that Jesus is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus teaches, teaches Nicodemus about the need to be born of the Spirit. And then, of course, in John 7, he promises to give the Spirit like a stream of living water to whoever would believe in him. And so what we see in, in all those passages and certainly throughout John's Gospel is that Jesus brings the promise of new spiritual life pouring God's Spirit out on those who come to him in faith. But of course, the woman continues to, to misunderstand, um, and yet Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't give up. Uh, he, he, he continues to talk and to try to explain these things. In verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So the woman wants this living water initially so that she just wouldn't have to come and draw water every day. She doesn't see uh, initially that Jesus is speaking of spiritual realities. But as she begins to be convicted of her sin, 
the Spirit begins to open her eyes to rightly understand uh, Jesus' words and, and to rightly <coughs> begin to see who he is. And as Jesus kind of gently directs the conversation to her own sinful and broken life, she starts to understand her own need for this new life that he offers. See, Jesus knows her, he knows about her sin, and he gently convicts her of her need for him, her need for a savior. And so the woman, at least as a start, she recognizes, since he knows all about her, he's read her mail, uh, she recognized Jesus as a prophet sent by God, someone who speaks for God. Now, of course, uh, it's not enough to, to merely see Jesus as a prophet or just as a great historical figure or religious teacher because Jesus makes incredible claims, as we just saw. He presents himself as the Son of God who brings spiritual rebirth to those who become convicted of their own sin and need and put their faith in him. You know, and there could be some here who you've attended church for for many years, and, and, and once you prayed a prayer, or once you walked an aisle, or filled out a card, and so you kind of feel like, yeah, I, I checked the box with God. But I would just want to ask you this morning, has the, the Spirit truly convicted you of your sin, of, of, of the ways that you, you fall short of the righteous standards of a holy God? And friends, I hope that you see that, in fact, the, the creator of the world, the one who made us and gave us life, he is holy, he is worthy of our allegiance, and yet each and every one of us is guilty of, of placing ourselves on the throne, wanting to decide what's good, to, and to rule our own lives separate from him. And so sin's brought the curse of death and decay on, on this whole world, and unless we realize our desperate need for a savior, we're headed for, for final destruction and final judgment. And so whether you've, you've never been in a church before uh, today or whether you've been in church since you were an infant, the question is, do you know Jesus? He came to earth to take the curse for our sin on himself. He bore it on the cross so that through his death, anyone, whoever would put their faith in him, can have this eternal life, can have the spirit and have new life. He rose from the grave after three days, and he, he proved uh, through that that he was the Son of God, and he proved his victory over sin and death. And so he brings this, the promise of spiritual new life for all who come to him, all who lay down their sinful rebellion and trust him alone for forgiveness and salvation. So if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, but you want to learn more, or maybe you're just not sure if you're a Christian, uh, you know, myself or Pastor Josh uh, would love to discuss that with you. Or maybe there's someone here who invited you to attend. Um, you know, one of us would be happy to, to talk with you, pray with you, uh, maybe meet together and, and go through, read one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and just think and, and talk about what it would mean to follow Jesus. Uh, but I hope that if you sense God working in your heart, that you, you'll act on that. Uh, in some uh, significant and tangible way, because it's, it's critically important. Jesus alone, he is the giver of spiritual new life. And then third, Jesus is the center of true worship. So even though 
the Samaritan woman here, she recognized Jesus as a prophet from God, but she still doesn't fully understand his identity. So look at look with me at verse verse 20. She goes on, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, as, the, as she initially brings up the, this question about worship, it's easy to, to kind of assume that, that she just wants to change the subject from the uncomfortable topic of her personal life. And, and just kind of quibble over an obscure theological point about, you know, location of, of, of worship for the temple. Now, while that's possible, uh, we shouldn't be quick to dismiss the importance of her question. You know, she's been amazed, kind of dumbfounded by Jesus' knowledge about her life. And, and later on, down in verse 29, she tells the townspeople, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And so if this man is truly a prophet from God, then she needs to know whether or not the religious system that she and her people have put their trust in, whether or not it's valid. And I think it's good for us to stop and just think for a moment, is that a question that you would ask? Do you view worship as something significant in the grand scheme of things? Friends, worship does matter. And I don't just mean, you know, singing praise songs or, or even simply gathering uh, on, a, on a Sunday morning, um, but a life, a whole life oriented to the glory of God. Because he made us in his image so we might know him and worship him. And he's revealed himself in scripture and given us instructions for how we are to worship him, how we are to engage with him. And so Jesus doesn't respond to her question with an answer regarding buildings, whether we should go to the mountain or we should be at the temple or other outward forms and elements, but rather he presents himself as the center of worship. He tells the woman about a time that is coming. Now, what's this about? What's this coming time? This is the time is coming and now is. You know, back at the wedding at Cana, uh, in, in John 2, when, when Mary, his mother, tries to get him to help at the wedding, he says, my time has not yet come. And then even a few chapters from here, in John 7, verse 30, the Jews trying to, to stop him, trying to lay hands on him, they can't because his time had not yet come. And then in John 13, 1, John 13, verse 1, Jesus says, or John says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So there was an appointed time, an appointed day, for Jesus to die on the cross, to rise from the dead, to return to his Father and to send the Holy Spirit. And with the coming of Jesus, a new age was dawning in redemptive history. When the center of worship, it wouldn't be on Mount Gerizim as the Samaritans 
uh, where they worshipped. It wouldn't be in Jerusalem where the temple was located. Now, this isn't to say that these things never mattered. Jesus does say to the woman that the Samaritans were seeking to worship what they did not know. You see, back, back when, when the northern kingdom of Israel split off from the, the southern kingdom of Judah in, in 1 Kings 12, at the time of Solomon's son, this, this northern kingdom, they lost access to the temple in Jerusalem. And so they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And they even rejected large portions of the Hebrew scripture, the majority of Hebrew scripture, because they didn't really like the focus on King David. They didn't like the temple in Jerusalem. They didn't like this promise of a Davidic king who would be on the throne forever in 2 Samuel 7. So they kind of just cut all that out. And after Assyria, as I mentioned, after Assyria conquered Israel, those who remained in the land, they adopted pagan practices of foreigners, and their worship was completely mixed up and confused. Now the Jews, by comparison, they worshipped according to knowledge. They had God's word, the Hebrew scriptures, and they were seeking to worship him accordingly. They knew all the promises, all the biblical promises of salvation. And yet, now that Jesus has arrived, all the promises are being fulfilled in real time. And so now the only question that matters is who will respond in faith to this promised Savior? No longer is it about geographical location or ethnicity or background. No, the true worshipers that the Father seeks are those who worship in spirit and in truth. The ones who respond in faith to Jesus and are given the spirit who brings those who are dead spiritually to life. So they worship in spirit because, because they have the Holy Spirit and they have spiritual life. You know, Jesus says in John 3, 6, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It also means that they don't just pay lip service to God. Um, as, it, as it says in Isaiah, they don't just perform outward actions, but they worship God from the heart, from the inside out. And they worship in spirit and in truth. They know the truth. They know the good news of the gospel, all the promises that were made throughout the Old Testament and that are fulfilled now and made fully visible in Jesus Christ. And so the woman hears all, all Jesus is saying about the dawning of this new era, this time that is coming. She's still not entirely sure, you know, who is, who is this man? Is he really qualified to make such radical claims? So she replies, well, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything. And then Jesus makes this unmistakable claim, I who speak to you am he. You know, and really, if we, if we took a more literal um, reading of, of his words here, it would be, I am he, the one speaking to you. So Jesus is using Yahweh's self-designation. I am, the name that was revealed to Moses uh, in, in Exodus 3.14. This is not merely a prophet. And it's not even just a man who was chosen to save God's people. This is God the Son fully God and fully man. And so now he is the center of worship because he is the one mediator between God and man. He's the great high priest through whom we have forgiveness and access to the Father. And after Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah, the woman runs off, leaves behind her jar, and, and goes to bring the townspeople so they can hear for themselves this amazing man who's turned her world upside down. 
Now, as we think through this a little bit, you know, in terms of just the whole topic, the whole concept of worship, those of us who grew up in the church, we tend to think of worship as, you know, as a time when we sing, maybe prayer and preaching as well. Um, we may remember that in Romans 12, 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So there we see it's involving our whole lives, our whole bodies. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so with, with passages like that in mind, we understand that our work, our play, our home life, our studies, all of it, every day should be lived as an expression of worship. And so all those things, all those things are true. And yet if we forget that Jesus is the center of our worship, we're still, we're still going to be in trouble. Because without Jesus, we don't have any ground to stand on before a holy God. And let me just give a few kind of more practical applications of this. You know, what if, uh, just thinking about the songs that we do sing, that's, that's a part of our worship, that's, that's one element of our, our worship to God. If, if all we ever sing about is just our love for God, our feelings of love for Him, you know, we can love God only because He loved us first by sending His Son to die for our sins. What about if all of our songs just express you know, our devotion, our commitment, wanting to surrender our lives to serve, to serve God? Well, yes, God is worthy of our service, and we are called to, to lay our lives down and serve Him. And yet our motives are always imperfect. They're always tainted with sin. Our service is only acceptable through the cleansing blood of Christ. You know, and what if we really want, we want to hear a particular style of music, we really want particular instruments in our worship, because we just feel like that music, that style helps us, it helps us connect to God, it helps us feel His presence. What if we depend on it, on certain songs or a certain musician to, to kind of usher us into God's presence? Brothers and sisters, there's only one thing in this world that brings us into God's presence, and that is Jesus Christ. So nothing, no one else could ever be sufficient to bring us into God's presence. Jesus, Jesus alone, he clothes us in his righteousness. He gives us the spirit. He adopts us into God's family. And so we're accepted in the presence of this majestic God. So let Christ always remain at the center of our worship because we worship God the Father through Jesus Christ alone by the power of the spirit who is in us. And so just to kind of wrap up the, the story here in, in John 4, when the disciples come back, they, they just marvel that Jesus would speak with this woman. Um, and yet Jesus tells them that my food is to do the Father's will and to bring in a harvest. And you're, you're going to take this work on after I'm gone, but to bring on in a harvest of true worshipers into the kingdom. And these worshipers are going to include people who've been written off by the Jewish community of Jesus' day, written off as irredeemable, as lost causes. And yet this Samaritan woman, this unlikeliest of converts, she becomes a great evangelist and she causes many in the town to believe. And then many more believe after Jesus stays there for two more days and teaches. And they say to the woman, now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. 
And so a great number of people are transformed from rebels and rejects into true worshipers. And so what, what would your question be if you, if you were face-to-face -face and could ask God just one, one thing? Well, whatever, whatever your question would be, I hope, hope that you can see from John 4 that the most important question in human history is how can a holy God be known and worshipped by sinful human beings? And friends, we have the answer. God has definitively answered this question once and for all. And the answer is the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, for his compassion, his grace, that he, that he runs after the broken ones and the lost sheep, and he extends mercy and forgiveness and, and offers new life to all who would come to him. Thank you that we can worship you through, through the perfect work that Jesus has done for us. Pray that you would, um, even as we go from this place today, that we would have your spirit in us. It would empower us to serve you, to glorify you, uh, all for the glory of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.